Welcome to the Climate Report on Forward Radio, WFMP 106.5 FM, Louisville. This is Hart Hagen, your host, and we are on episode number 332. Today's topic is Your Climate-Friendly Backyard, Part 2. The purpose of the Climate Report is to solve the problem of climate change in spirit and in truth in theory and in practice, as individuals and as a society, in the city and in the country, wherever we live, work, and play. Today we're going to be talking about that which is close to home, our own backyard. And if you don't have a backyard, the following still applies wherever grass grows and trees if we will let them. The last time we went through these nine understandings. If we understand these nine things, we will see our home landscape differently. Gabe Brown, author of Dirt to Soil, said the following, and it is true. He said, if you want to change a little bit, then do, then do things differently. If you want to change a lot, then see things differently. If you want to change a little bit, then do things differently. If you want to change a lot, then see things differently. Hopefully this episode will represent a different understanding, a different way of seeing things, a different way of seeing our home landscape and indeed commercial landscapes and a lot else. So first, let's go through these nine understandings, nine ways to understand our home landscape a little bit differently. Number one, understand that our home landscapes can be a major force for good in terms of our climate, our biodiversity, our water quality, our air quality, and our health. But, Number two, understand that currently our home landscapes are a major force for ill in all of these areas. The typical home landscape is a force for ill when it comes to our climate, our biodiversity, our water quality, our air quality, and our health. Number three, understand that in a healthy ecosystem, there's a great deal of biodiversity in the soil, so let's nurture the soil health. We'll talk more about that, but let's nurture the soil health. Number four, understand that healthy soil absorbs carbon. Don't we want to get carbon from the atmosphere, out of the atmosphere, and into the plants, and into the soil. A healthy home landscape absorbs carbon. Number five, under, uh, number five, understand that a healthy ecosystem absorbs carbon and water. So it's not just plants and trees that absorb water from the air. 
It is also animals and fungi, and all of these things work together in what we call an ecosystem, also known as a community of living things. So when you have a community of living things, the whole community, the whole system, the whole ecosystem absorbs carbon, and that's good for our climate. Number six, understand that water, not just carbon, but water is an important factor in climate change. For better or worse, if we manage water well, we can heal our climate. If we play fast and loose and manage water poorly, then the climate will continue to get worse and will continue to experience weather extremes such as floods, droughts, heat waves, even famines. These weather extremes, for the most part, are functions of broken water cycles. We can heal our water cycles starting with our home landscape, our own backyard, and our front yard, for that matter. Because water lives in ecosystems. Water flows through ecosystems, so when we nurture our backyard ecosystem, we are positively impacting the climate by helping to restore those local water cycles and create cool microclimates where we live. We can create microclimates. Walk into the forest. It's cooler there. We've created a microclimate there. Walk under a shade tree. It's cooler there. We've created a little microclimate there. But it's not just trees, it's all plants that absorb water, that transpire water, and we can create those microclimates in our own backyard. Number seven, understand that our backyards and landscapes absolutely can be a haven for biodiversity, for bees, butterflies, and birds. Number eight, understand that we can, in our home landscapes, nurture healthy soil ecosystems. That's one of the most important parts of this. Soil is the future, baby. We have so misunderstood soil prior to now. We have so neglected soil prior to now. We have so underrated the power of soil prior to now. But we can nurture healthy soil ecosystems in our own backyard and in our front yard for that matter. Number nine, understand that healthy soil is teeming with organisms that live in food chains. You know, you, from, the, from the smallest to the largest, there are bacteria, protozoa, nematodes, fungi, earthworms, insects, centipedes, millipedes, ants, all of these are part of a soil food web. And a healthy soil is teeming with these organisms. But we kill these living ecosystems, we kill these living organisms when we till, when we plow, because the tillage destroys the structure of the soil. Soil is supposed to be like a sponge. It is supposed to absorb water and it's supposed to have pockets of air. That's a healthy soil. It has that structure that makes it like a sponge that holds water and 
air. We kill the soil structure when we till, when we plow, when we add chemical fertilizers, when we use chemical pesticides, including fungicides, herbicides, uh, insecticides, etc. So let's not do that. Next list, I have five things. Let's compare and contrast what our home landscape could be versus what most of them are. There's going to be some repetition here, but repetition is good. Repetition is the mother of learning, and I'm learning too. Item number one, our home landscapes could be a carbon sink, but instead they are a carbon source. So a carbon sink is something that absorbs carbon. A healthy forest is going to absorb carbon. A healthy, biologically diverse farm is going to absorb carbon. Plants absorb carbon. Healthy soils absorb carbon. And that means it's a carbon sink. So our home landscapes could be a carbon sink. Instead, they are a carbon source. Item number two. Our home landscapes could be a place where the soil filters and cleans water because a healthy soil is going to absorb water when it rains. And then that water moves ever so slowly, ever so gradually into the streams and waterways. That is a process that cleans water because water is moving through that healthy soil and the soil organisms are taking up, you know, whatever, some of them consume the impurities that are moving through the soil. Some of those impurities settle into the soil. This is what healthy soil does. Instead, most home landscapes are not healthy soil and this water just runs off into the waterways as polluted as it can be. Item number three, our home landscapes could be a place that cleans the air because a trees and indeed all plants and especially a multi-layered forest, which can include a food forest, can include a garden, but a multi-layered forest will remove pollution from the air. Trees, the leaves of trees, absorb air. They remove particulate pollution from the air. Trees can also be a windbreak so that if a dust storm is wanting to blow through, the trees intercept that dust so that it does not get into our lungs. So, you know, trees and multi-layered forests will remove pollution from the air. Instead, our home landscapes are a place that causes air pollution, not least of all from mowers and from blowers and from weed eaters. So mowers, blowers, and weed eaters all have this, you know, gas, the exhaust, and it's not just carbon coming out of there. It's lots and lots and lots, lots and lots and lots of pollution. In fact, mowers, blowers, and weed eaters produce a whole heck of a lot more pollution per unit of time than a car does because cars have these filters called catalytic converters, which filter out most of the particulate pollution that a car would otherwise spew out. But these mowers, blowers, and weed eaters don't have such things. So that's one way that your typical home landscape is a source of pollution. And another way that your home landscape is a source of pollution is when you blow all the dust, all the crap, all the, everything, all the dust comes up and people are having to breathe the dust that you blow up because of using that blower.
Item number four, our home landscapes could be a place where bees, butterflies, and birds can find food and water. Instead, most home landscapes have little or no food or water that is in a usable form for bees, butterflies, and birds. Item number five, our home landscapes could be a healthy, safe place for children and adults to learn about nature. They could be teeming with life above ground and below ground. Instead, most homeowners and professional landscapers strive to eliminate all life, such as insects, beetles, earthworms, termites, slugs, snails, caterpillars, pill bugs, bees, butterflies, crickets, and ants, just to name a few. We try to eliminate these things. I was in a garden store the other day, and it says, I won't tell you the name of the product, but it, 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 said, it, it is a crawling insect killer. So you get a big bag of this stuff, and you spread it around, presumably in a seed spreader and it says it it kills ants cockroaches earwigs earwigs silverfish beetles slugs millipedes centipedes fleas carpet beetles bed bugs grasshoppers and other crawling insects may be applied to growing crops livestock food and feed establishments Okay, whatever, but if you're killing some insects, you're killing all insects, and insects are very, very important. We're in an insect apocalypse where, you know, insect populations are in free fall. It is not a good thing. It is a very bad thing, and we need to reverse course. Next, I have six goals that I would like for you to embrace. Number one, embrace the goal of adding biodiversity to your landscape. This includes plant diversity, especially a diversity of native plants and trees. I have a relatively small, modest backyard, and I can tell you that I have dozens and dozens of volunteer native trees, including oaks, maples, box elders, hackberries, wild cherry, catalpa, just to name a few. Well, that, that's most of them, but they've just volunteered and a volunteer tree is going to be healthier than one that is transplanted from a nursery. So embrace the goal of adding biodiversity to your landscape. And this starts with the plants. Biological diversity starts with native plants, both above ground and below ground. Above ground, native plant biodiversity adds to the diversity of bees and butterflies because it's those bees and butterflies that can, uh, you know, you need, a diver you need diversity and abundance go together. So you need a diversity of native plants and an abundance of native plants so that you can have a, a diversity and abundance of bees and butterflies. And also below ground, native plant diversity the, the, the native plants, the roots of the native plants, are, they, they prime, they're the biological primers, Gabe Brown says. So plant diversity, a diversity of living roots in the ground is going to be good for the biological diversity below ground. Number two, embrace the goal of adding organic matter like wood chips, leaves, limbs, and logs to the, to the ground. 
Maybe logs aren't for everybody, but they're good if you can have some logs, some limbs, some leaves, some wood chips on the ground. This is going to absorb water. This is going to give fungi something to eat. Fungi are good. Fungi are necessary. So if we can add wood chips, leaves, limbs, and logs to the ground, then we're going to have a diversity of animals and fungi. And that's a winning formula. Item number three, embrace the goal of using zero, and I mean zero, chemical pesticides and chemical fertilizers. These are toxic to adults, children, pets, wildlife, soil, water, and the air. They will sabotage everything you're trying to do for the climate, for wildlife, and for the productivity of your garden if you're growing food like vegetables in your garden. Item number four, embrace the goal of building ever healthier soil that is rich with life. Soil can be healthier and healthier and healthier all the time, baby. You can always add more carbon to the soil. You can always add more life to the soil. And some of that is avoiding killing it to begin with. Some of it is strategically adding biological diversity through compost and compost tea. Number five, embrace the goal of allowing little or no water to run off your property. The goal should be for not one drop of rainfall to run off of your property. Not one drop. You covet that rainfall. You're greedy for that rainfall. You hoard rainfall on your property. One way of saying this is that we design for hydration not drainage. We want to hydrate. We don't want to treat the water as a nuisance. We want to treat the water as a resource. We should seek to capture and store all rainwater rather than letting it run off. We should redesign our landscapes for hydration, not drainage. We can design for hydration. How? By having an abundance of plant matter an abundance of organic matter, such as wood chips, leaves, limbs, logs, etc. Sometimes we want to be do a bit of what's called contour farming, where we add, you know, we, we add terraces or berms or swales or contours, but we shape the land so as to slow the, the downward progress of water. We don't have to stop it entirely, but we, if we slow the progress of water, then that is a very, very, very good thing. Number six, embrace the goal of making your landscape a reservoir of water. The plant matter on your landscape and the organic matter on your landscape uh, and your soil can be a reservoir for huge amounts of water that is then available for plants to use and for the animals like worms and insects and all of the underground life. And when your landscape is a reservoir of water, then it is a heat sink. A heat sink means it absorbs heat. So on a hot sunny day, when everybody else's landscape is sweltering, yours is cooler because that you have a solar powered air conditioner. You have the plants that are transpiring water, cooling things off and and because you have all this plant matter, because you have healthy soil, you have an abundance of water, you have a reservoir of water that can calm the weather 
extremes. If we get enough of that going, we can calm the weather extremes like droughts and floods. And what, what do we do in the fall but we get rid of the leaves? We need to keep our leaves and bring in leaves and bring in wood chips. Item number two, embrace the strategy, like I said, embrace the strategy of bringing in wood chips and leaves. They control weeds, they hold in moisture and give the decomposers, that is the decomposing organisms, a job to do. You'll have much better luck during a drought because of all that water they're holding in, into the soil, into the plants, and you'll have to water less. If you forget to water, no big deal. If you don't have time, no big deal. If you go out of town, no big deal. If you have those, you know, an abundance of good, healthy, locally sourced mulch, such as wood chips and or leaves. And when you do this, all of this will jumpstart your soil biology and favorably change your soil chemistry. This is good for plant health. It's good for the nutrition of any fruits or vegetables you might be raising. It's good for the resilience of the soil food web. So your soil food web is less uh, vulnerable to heat and drought. And it's good for your, you know, these, this organic matter that you bring in, the mulch in the form of locally sourced wood chips and leaves from last fall. It will uh, be good for your plant communities. It'll help you maintain of a, a diversity of plants more effortlessly. And when you have that diversity of plants, then the, the plants that they share water with each other they share nutrients with each other and they share distress signals with each other. So everything, when you have a good plant community and a good soil community, protected with mulch where need be, then you're going to have a more robust, resilient um, community of plants. Number three, embrace the strategy. Here we go. Here, here's it. How do you control height and all this if you're not going to mow or if you're, you know, I want you to mow very selectively, but embrace the strategy of using a weed eater, not a mower, to control the height of your plants. So you're going to be using the weed eater to cut larger areas, but you're not going to be cutting it as short. Yeah, as short. A mower typically cuts between you know, most people do about three inches. It could be as short as two inches. It could be as high as four inches, but somewhere in that two to four inch range is where, range is where most mowers cut to. I want you to cut, you might not do this in your front yard, but especially in your backyard, I want you to cut your grass higher, more in the six to 10 inch range. The 10 inches is below the height where your neighborhood, most neighborhood associations or cities will get onto you. Plus, you can be much more selective with the weed eater. So if you want some of your grass to be two to four inches because you want to walk on it, then fine, but do this selectively. We need to change our aesthetics and our tastes. We need to stop doing things just because that's what we've always seen, because that's what our parents did, or that's what our neighbors do. What our parents, what we've always seen is not working for the living planet. What we've always, what our parents did is not working for the living planet. And what our neighbor's doing is certainly not working for the living planet.
But if we use a weed eater, uh, but I want you to use the weed eater to give it a little bit of order. You know, when things start get, getting above six, eight, ten inches, they can look a little bit disorderly. So use that weed eater to, to top it off, but you're not cutting off so much that it's unhealthy for the plant or the ecosystem. So the grass is going to be healthier at six to ten inches. It holds more water. It, it captures more rain. It will result in more plant diversity because when you're cutting at six to ten inches, when you're cutting at two to four inches, pretty much turf grass is mainly the only thing that thrives. But when it's six to ten inches, you're going to have things like violets and dandelions. And dandelions are good. You're going to have things like violets and dandelions and dead nettle and clover and you're going to have more of a diversity. Last item is six tips for uh, for gardening. For one thing, how do you, number one, how do you deal with weeds and invasive species? Well, you know, if you have invasive species, weeds, unwanted plants, do not, do not use poisons. Do not use poisons. Do not use weed and feed. Do not use herbicides. That stuff is, you know, the most popular herbicide is 2,4-D. It has dioxin in it. That, that's the same thing that was used in Agent Orange in Vietnam. It, it, is, it is bad stuff. It's proven to be bad stuff. I could do a whole episode on, you know, herbicides, insecticides, etc. And I will soon. But do not use poisons. If you're killing life, not a good strategy not a good strategy. So if you have unwanted plants, for, for one thing, it, a plant shouldn't be a threat to your garden unless it starts to dominate. Invasive species are a threat only insofar as they dominate and they destroy diversity. So use a combination of weeding, cutting, and you know, wood chips is, are going to smother them, deprive them of what they need. And if you keep cutting them, they're, they're not going to survive forever, but don't use poisons. That was item number two. Item number three, let nature do a lot of the work. If you slow down on the mowing and say no to pesticides and chemical fertilizers, stuff will grow. It'll be a diversity of things. It'll be a healthy diversity of things. Got a minute or two left. Let me leave you with something to think about. So what we're talking about here is a total rethink of our home landscape. Our home landscape could be a blessing to the world. Most are not. Our home landscape could be a place of biological abundance. Our home landscape could be a place that helps to temper weather extremes. Most are not. Our home landscape could be a place that is a reservoir of water and therefore a heat sink, a place that keeps our urban and suburban area for, from being so darn hot in the summer. Our home landscape could be a place where water gets transpired from the plants and trees, thus cooling things off. And our home landscape can be a little paradise, a place that is cool and a little microclimate and that is thriving with life. 
Don't we want a home landscape that is thriving with life? I hope you'll agree with me that that's exactly what we want. That's all the time we have. Thank you for joining me. Have a very nice day.